What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Brandy, welcome to the show. You are the host of Dear Doula. And can you just maybe start with helping us understand what a doula is? Because I honestly only learned in the last year what a doula's role even is, maybe in the last two years. And I think because it felt so like woo-woo and out there for so long and I maybe lacked an understanding, I would love to kind of hear what a doula is and basically how you got into making a podcast about it? I know. So, so many things. So there are different types of doulas. I will start there. So most people, when they think about doulas, they think about someone coming to your birth that is a birth doula. And so usually they're meeting with you when you're pregnant, doing a couple of sessions with you then to help you and your partner, if you have one, to just learn about the process of giving birth, to kind of understand what you are looking to have, the kind of birth you're looking to have, what's important to you to help you understand the choices that you have. And then they actually accompany you at your birth to help you with managing pain and discomfort, you know, giving your partner some tips and kind of helping them to help you. And also kind of being an advocate for you to kind of have the kind of space that you want during your birth. Mm. I mostly at this point, literally for the past 15 years, have been a postpartum doula, meaning I work with people after they have the baby. I did start off with birth and I quickly realized I am not meant to be on call. So I moved to postpartum and in postpartum, my goal is really helping people become parents. So those first weeks and days after having a baby, learning the ropes about how to keep this human happy and alive and normalizing things and helping parents kind of understand their space and gaining their intuition and just really that foundation care after you have a baby that previously, let's say a hundred years ago, probably would have been your aunties and your grandmas in the village um, taken care of. But since so many people don't have that, they outsource it to people like myself and my company. And so how I came to be doing a podcast about being a doula is that has been in the game a long time. I became a doula in 2001 when nobody even knew what it was back in the day. And so I've done it for so long and seen such a change in the clients that we serve and the people who are coming into doing the work. And I just have spent a lot of time in that space and understanding from working with, you know, at this point, 10,000 plus families wow. that so much of what people need is the same 
of what people need to hear is the same. And so I'm only one person. I can only work with so many clients. It's really came from a space of like, I wish that everyone could have what I've been able to give these families over 20 years. Mm. And what are those, if you could name those things that are those similar needs across these 10,000 families that you've worked with, what are these similar things that kind of keep popping up that maybe people feel that they're alone in, but are actually so common in the experience? I mean, I think particularly for people who are parenting in the West, and particularly even when I say West, I'm saying in the United States, is that parents are overwhelmed. They're being expected to do something in a way that most people around the world are not expected to do. They're expected to have this child and be ready to go back to work within two to six weeks of having a child. They're supposed to be able to breastfeed this child without education and support, um, without paid maternity leave. And so generally parents are just overwhelmed. A lot of people are working until they pop because they can't afford to take that time off to kind of nest and do all those things. And so a lot of my clients are coming to me, I think overwhelmed and stressed, which leads to a lot of anxiety. And I've seen a huge increase in postpartum anxiety over the past 20 years of doing this work. And I think it's because uh, you would... (laughs) I would love to say that things have gotten better in maternal child health um, in the United States in the past 20 years, and actually it hasn't. In some ways, yes, there's more information out there with the internet, and so people have access to more information, but we still don't have you know, a formal healthcare system here. And so it leads to a lot of people kind of having to like feel out their own needs and answer their own questions. And so I think that's probably one of the major things I'm dealing with Mm. is just helping people to come to a space of like, hey, this is what you really need. This is what's really important. I think now the entire world is in a crisis of doing too much. And so, so much of my work is getting people to slow down. And, you know, my hope was that the pandemic was going to teach us that we all needed to do that. We saw amazing outcomes for women and children um, in birth during the pandemic. We saw the premature birth rate plummet during this time. And that's because people were forced to rest. They weren't going to the office. They weren't getting people's colds and sniffles and getting infections and all the things that might cause you to go into labor early. And, you know, with that information and that data, the hope would be that we'd like, hey, you know, this time is really sacred. We can't just go, 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 go. But I kind of see us starting to creep back into our old ways. And oh, so I yeah. spend a lot of time just telling people to slow down. Yeah. I, I mean, I was pregnant through the pandemic and I gave birth at home because of the pandemic and I'm in Canada too. So things are a bit different here. Mm -hmm. We get a full Mm -hmm. maternity leave and rub it in. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, but like, it's so funny because it just feels so necessary. I work for myself, so I didn't really get the full uh, benefit of that, but I've had it many times before. And I found like the one thing that I still struggle with is like sort of the societal expectation that you are just going afterwards, that you do just like pick yourself back up and keep moving. And, you know, speaking from being like a year and a bit out from having a child, I'm still like catching my breath. I'm still coming into what this has all done for us. And I think a lot of times people are just like, you have a baby and now it's like, you're just supposed to move on with life and not, I don't think everybody has the same level of capacity. They don't always have the same, like my, this most recent baby was a cluster feeder. The amount of like emotional and bodily strain that took on me was not something I necessarily anticipated. And I can't imagine having to go back to work on top of that. But I'll say in Canada, a lot of times people create a lot of shame around, well, you stay home. So you should have enough time to do it all. Like now, 
now that you're home, like you have a year off work, how are you not feeling supported? But being having time off work when you already have this like more than a full-time job of a little one to take care of and potentially nourish with your body as well, even within those first six weeks that so many people have off as like their benchmark of what they have, I remember my midwives being like, in the first few days after birth, in the first week even, they were like, you're allowed to go up the stairs twice a day. And I was like, but I'm watching people on TikTok and they gave birth yesterday and they're going for walks around the block. Like, why can't I, why can't I? And they're like, you can go up the stairs twice a day. Figure out what you need to do and keep yourself as still and as restful as possible. What's funny about this is my husband had a vasectomy and came home with a stack of papers front and back on how he was to care for himself, sitting down, resting, all of these things. And I'm like, I've literally been sent home from a hospital after giving birth and just like out into the world you go. It wasn't until this last one that they were like, be very still. And the second I felt better, I just was like, oh, I'm just going to go back to like my life. And immediately I started hemorrhaging. I had all of these like little things pop up. So it is an incredibly important important time. And it's also so complex to each individual's um, experience through it. And I feel like this whole conversation, like for you, how like working with parents, especially in postpartum, how long do you find that parents typically need support for? I'm saying this with like a 17 month old and being like, 18 years <laughs> like and a 16 year old like can somebody just drive her everywhere yeah like it, it, yes. it what is like kind of that postpartum if you were to name like true care that needs to like come in what would you say that that looks like and it cannot be typical as well I would just love I for think you to that say everyone needs that six weeks postpartum care I think there's something too there's a reason why most indigenous people most you know, cultures that really are, are still using their old traditions and rituals have a 40 day rule. You know, you see this in Mexico, you see it in India, you see it in Korea, you, you know, when I lived in Vietnam, you saw it there. And there's a reason why that that cycle of time makes sense. There's a lot of ha that's happening within our bodies as far as like your uterus going back to its pre-pregnancy shape. By this time, most people have stopped bleeding. Usually at this point, you know, if you are nursing, it has been established within that six you know, week period, you're kind of going back into like getting back into your body. And so I feel like there's a reason why all these different cultures have really just stood so closely to that 40 day rule. And I see with my clients, if they are willing to slow down, to have this time to bond and care for themselves and those first six weeks, their uh, overall healing, their thriving in those months and in that first year postpartum, I find are accelerated. The ones who are going back to work in two weeks. And so many people, I feel like, you know, have to work. Like if you're not, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you got to pay your rent. Like people have to get back to work. I totally get it. But so many of the things like eating foods that really nourish and heal your body, keeping yourself warm, like, you know, what an old world, they would call it mother warming or mother roasting these things that just happened in postpartum. And while the herbs might be different or the foods might be different, the actual principles I've seen all over the world to be the same. And so if people were listening to this and thinking about like, what should I prepare at a minimum, have that support for six weeks, even if you're going back to work, have a meal service that's going to be providing you with foods that are great for your postpartum body, have massages, you know, get all that stuff that needs to happen to just make your body whole again. One of the things that happens in most cultures at the end of that six weeks is what some might call a closing of the bone ceremony. And basically think about just someone taking fabric and like, 
wrapping and squeezing it over your whole body from head to toe, like getting this most ultimate like squeeze massage with fabric. And it's usually women doing that for women. And there's this idea of like, basically you've been so open, you know, you have delivered a baby. You've like not had your body be your own for nine plus months. And this is kind of just a a ceremony to kind of bring everything back together, like to align your hips and your back and just get everything back to where it was. And if you really look at the practice, it really, if we think about it now, it's like modern day chiropractic care. Like people were doing this thousands of years ago. They know that we needed to have this kind of readjustment back into our bodies. And so that's kind of things that I tell parents, like, you know, no matter as modern as we want to call ourselves, most of what I've seen works really well is for us to go back to the basics about how we care for each other and the expectation that the community should be caring for new parents. You know, you are allowed to switch things up when you feel like it. Yesterday, maybe you were jamming to country music, but today you're deep into a throwback 2000s playlist. Your go-to dessert maybe is usually creme brulee, but you could really go for a slice of chocolate cake right now. With Dipsy, you can always choose what feels good in the moment. So what is Dipsy exactly? It's one of my favorite things. I'm so excited to tell you about it. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. You'll find stories about intriguing coworkers with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. They even have stories designed specifically for your Zodiac sign. I have a friend who would love that. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you'll always find something new to explore. Not only that, but Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and they now offer written stories as well. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash papaya. One more time, dipseastories.com slash papaya. Enjoy. I know you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always hear me talking about how much I love Frank Vadi. If you followed me on Instagram for any bit of time, you know I love this brand. And I'm going to tell you exactly why, because I have a microphone and I have a chance to do so. I started using Frank Body years ago, actually, and I've used over a dozen bottles of my favorite original face scrub. That, with the help of my husband, who is also kind of obsessed, uses it every day, loves it too. I struggle with makeup caking up, and usually I had gone to thinking that I just needed a better primer or a different moisturizer. I was going down these different roads of thinking it was a different foundation that I needed. What I actually needed was the original face scrub to get a slick, smooth skin so that my makeup would last all day. It's the product that got me hooked on Frank Body. But here's why I keep coming back because it has to take more than just a good product sometimes. Frank Body is an empowering brand. They love to celebrate all bodies and bring fun to the bathroom. I really align with their brand values, and that's one of the main reasons I'm talking to you about them right now. 
because Frank Body is also a women-founded, Australian-made with clean ingredients, and they have super cheeky branding. If you get a package from them ever, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. My other favorite Frank product is the Brightening Vitamin C Mask. It is the ultimate multitasker, which any busy person can appreciate. It not only brightens, but also clears out pores and firms your skin. If you have something like an event coming up or something, put it on for five minutes before you're, as you're getting ready. And trust me, you will be glowing. So why am I telling you this? Well, because I have a little discount code for you. You can get my two favorite products right now, the original coffee scrub and the brightening vitamin C mask for under $50 when you use code papaya at checkout, plus free shipping in Canada. And that is such a good deal. If you're looking for stocking up on your favorites, you can get 15% off store-wide as well when you use code papaya at frankbody.com. That's F-R-A-N-K-B-O-D-Y.com. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzlar and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. Now, that brings me into a really great next question because a lot of times postpartum, and if you had a baby in a, in a pandemic, unfortunately, nobody came over. You didn't really have any of that. And mm-hmm. for some people, they were like, thank goodness, I didn't have to do an ounce of hosting after having a baby. And then there was people like me that I was like, ah, oh, dang it, I really could use some company. I really could use mm-hmm. somebody just like bringing, uh, bringing themselves into my space or like meeting my baby that I just worked so hard for. But I would love to hear like everyone, how do you figure out boundaries when it comes to that postpartum? era and knowing what you need and how to advocate for that when it comes to people around you and like as support people what are things that we can do to make sure that we are being boundary respectful but still showing up because sometimes I I wonder if there's a bit of a bystander effect where everyone's like oh I'm sure that she's being asked so many times a day how she is I don't want to be another person to ask that and then it leaves you with why did nobody reach out and see how I'm doing or think that because this was my fourth child that I must just be okay Uh, things like that I would love to hear how we can kind of as support people enter into that realm of wanting to be support people, but also being honoring to that postpartum era of time, that chapter for them. Well, the one thing I often tell support people is don't ask, offer. When you are in the midst of like, I have three kids. So when I'm in the midst of like postpartum and doing my mom stuff and getting this breastfeeding thing down and like managing my other kids, I can't think about how you can help me. I can't, I can't answer that question for you. But if you were to call me and say, Hey, I really want to help you. I was thinking I could either send you a massage, send you all dinner or take your two-year-old to the park tomorrow. Does any of that resonate with you? And of course I'm gonna say, I'll take any of them. You know what I mean? 
But a lot of times what people do is like, if I can help, let me know, call me anytime. I'm not going to reach out and call you. Cause I don't know. Did you really mean that? Or is that just something you were saying? And, and, and you forget about your support. Like being a new parent can be isolating. Like you're just so in the like survival mode that you sometimes even forget about your, like the village that's even there to support you. So I supporters have to take the charge. They have to take the lead. They can't leave this up to new parents to like reach out and say, I need help with this. Offer to do things that you know every new parent needs. Make sure they're being nourished. Make sure they have support for other children in the home. And then also make sure that this birthing parent has things that they need. Like maybe it's not about, you know, breastfeeding. It's about getting you a manicure at your house or getting a massage to you. But I would say offer something. Don't make the new family figure out how they need to be helped. Oh, that's such good advice. And I had a friend on here once, Elise Wilcox, and she was talking about when she was going through her cancer diagnosis and people were like, what kind of I do? How can I help? Can I bring a meal? And the amount of effort, and I just encourage people going through postpartum, like to find their voice for things like that. Or when you're going through any type of thing, she basically was like, people were offering meals left, right, and center. She's like, what I needed was my, my driveway shoveled. Like I needed somebody to come and shovel that snow. I couldn't do it. And I needed to get to appointments. And she goes, when I began to like advocate for what I really needed, that's when my needs began to be met. And, and I, mm-hmm. I've always thought about that because I think a lot of times we're like, I don't want to dictate how I get help. But as a friend and as somebody who like really wants to know what the best thing to do is, I think that this is a great time to say, this is actually exactly what I need. I need somebody to like come and like put gas in my car, or I need somebody to like help me set up the internet today. It's like struggling or like, like actual real tangible needs. Cause those things can really like disrupt your postpartum experience when you're like, just trying to focus on healing. And there's like a million things going on right. around you, even as simple as I'll walk your kids to the bus stop for the next week. Like things like that are really tangible, but I'm curious for somebody who's been in this work for so long, you've, you've been in it as social media sort of became, uh, it, it's thing that it is today. And I always believe that there is both there, there is both good and bad. And I would love in your arena, what have been the good things that social media has brought about that advocacy or whatever? And what are some of the negative impacts you've seen in terms of parenting, motherhood, postpartum, anything that you could kind of call on that we should maybe be aware of and more mindful of when scrolling? Oh my God, how much time do you yeah. have? <laughs> There's so many things. I mean, more than anything, shaming. Yeah. You know, mom shaming, mm-hmm. dad shaming. Like that's something that I, you know, I knew about. Like it might have been someone like at your preschool back yes. in the day, but like there wasn't this 24-7 onslaught of strangers telling you how terrible you are at parenting. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that has become new. And also just seeing the glossy side of parenting, like you know, so-and-so supermodel had a baby yesterday and she's in a bikini in Saint-Tropez three days later. And that's what people are seeing as is normalized. And I've worked with some of those clients and they literally are in a bikini three days later and not just their body. But generally speaking over this past 20 years, that has not been the case for most people. They're in a diaper and they're leaking everywhere and (laughs) they're at home figuring all this. We're squirting water bottles all over a vagina. just trying to go to the bathroom. Exactly. It's not great. Exactly. (laughs) That's usually what it looks like. Um, And so I think that people, the bar has been 
raised for what people are supposed to be accomplishing in postpartum as opposed to lowering it of like, no, your job is to rest, to attune to this child, to get connected to your intuition. And now it's been more about like getting back into your skinny jeans and, you know, having like your kids' pictures and the whole polished, like, you know, 2.5 perfect family. And it's sad that that's kind of become what parenting has been made to look like. Yeah, I I would say like this last week, speaking of, you know, that bikini picture, and it's not even about the mom is not to blame for what happens when somebody posts something like that but what's (laughs) so fascinating is the comments like the comments just throw me because in my postpartum experience nobody has ever said to me oh my god girl how'd you do it or oh I would kill you don't even look like you had a baby no I very much look like I had a baby I look like I had a baby from 16 years ago until this day I will always look like I've had a baby and so when you read comments like this and people are just they're they're just bypassing anything that the woman might actually be going through and just so centrally focused on, oh my gosh, you erased it all. Or like you already got your body back. What are your secrets? I will say that for me, one of my biggest things is like never commenting on somebody's postpartum body or like ever trying to, trying to make it like ever. Cause it's not even about if, even if it's a compliment to that one woman, it's for everybody else listening, including yourself. Like it is, I just find that's the one hardest part about social media and being pregnant at the same time as people is the after effects of watching people have a different postpartum experience than you Mm -hmm. and watching them be celebrated for it while you experience an onslaught of, well, if you had just done this in your pregnancy, maybe it would have been different. Right. I I find that hard, but I would say, and the mom shaming, like, I mean, I had my first three kids before social media was really big Mm -hmm. and this last time was a lot of conditions that I didn't know. This whole baby led weaning was a term I'd never heard of before. And all of a sudden it was like, are you going to be doing that? Are you going to be doing that? Are you co-sleeping? Are you not? Are you this? Are you that? And I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm so confused. I've had three kids and people are treating me like I'm a five-year-old raising a child Mm -hmm. because there's all these new standards. And every day it's a new scientist that has a new expertise. And you've mentioned this one word multiple times in this podcast already, and that's intuition. How do we, amongst all of the opinions that we are undoubtedly going to get, whether it is from our inner inner circle who maybe saw it on social media, or maybe it's from, uh, you know, what we've scrolled ourselves or what we've read, how do we tap into intuition when we're so heavily influenced by so many different voices? Stop the scroll and turn it Mm. off. The thing is that people nowadays have so little time in quiet. And you can't hear your own voice. You can't connect to your gut if you're hearing the constant chatter of other people. If you're listening to the scroll 24-7, if you, even like I tell people who like might consider me a parenting expert, never exchange what I'm saying for what you know to be true in your body and your spirit. Oh. Like I am a compliment to what you know. I might know a lot about babies, but you are the expert on your baby. Mm-hmm. And your baby mm-hmm. picks you for a reason. I do believe that our children pick us. And so flaws and all, there's a reason why they picked you to take them on their journey. And so the more that you can connect to being more of yourself, not less of yourself, it's actually going to be better for your child. But you can't do that if you're, you know, not ever having a time of quiet. That's another reason why I say that six weeks is so important because that's a time where you are doing skin to skin. Mm. You are slowing down. You have this little bubble around you where you really have this time. And I think we fooled ourselves into thinking that we didn't have to do that, that we could just Mm -hmm. jump Mm -hmm. to the next stage. Mm And I think a lot of the stress, the overwhelm, a lot of there's just 
unhappiness that some parents are experiencing with parenthood is because we thought that we could skip through that phase and be okay. And I think that we have to go back to really seeing this as a sacred spiritual you know, interest that only happens when you become a parent. And, and no matter how many times you become a parent, you walk that portal again. Mm-hmm. And we need to have more reverence for slowing down and paying attention because that honestly, I think is what connects you to your intuition in ways that you can, eventually you will get it, but it can just, it can um, super speed it up if you do it that way. Oh, that's really, that was very impactful to hear. Thank you. And as somebody who, so I had post, uh, sorry, prenatal depression, and I struggled deeply with being able to connect with the baby I was carrying. I had just trigger warning. I'm going to talk about pregnancy stuff. If anybody struggles with that, I had bleeding in my pregnancy and ended up having previa put on rest. And there was a wall that went up inside of me from that moment on to which I decided somewhere inside of my brain that if I didn't care about this baby, I was protected from whatever would happen. And that led Mm -hmm. me through a really, really dark road of resentment and struggle in pregnancy. So after birth, this was my first time of really connecting with my baby. The only times I really felt like joy and excitement was when I could show somebody else that the baby was moving inside of me. Like, oh, look, there's a baby in there. Like there's something actually going on. The reason I'm going through all of this is going to be for something. It has to. But I didn't ever have this like emotional connection to what was growing inside of me. I had a friend that allowed me to relate it to trying to bond with my organs. Like, and she was like, you, Mm -hmm. it's okay that you're not there. And I just had never heard anybody talk about it before. And so when I, what I experienced as a parent after birth was what I can only assume was similar for my husband. We were now getting to know this baby for the very first time. And I would love to hear from you. What are some great ways for anybody, no matter where you've been in your pregnancy journey or how you've bonded, but really truly finding space to bond with that baby, not just through those first six weeks, but like even ongoing. Because I think that's one thing that I found really precious and really special was like finding those unique ways that worked for us. But you've done this with so many families. I'd love for you to kind of speak into how we can bond with these kids that maybe feel very foreign to us, even though they came out of our own bodies. Well, I always say quality over quantity. Mm. Because the truth is that there are a lot of working parents and they're, you know, not going to be able to stay at home. And I would say, even if you are at home, you know, I would even say again, quality over quantity, because I think people think that this has to be a 24 seven full-time job. Mm. And yes, in some ways that it is, but a lot of the work to being able to bond and having that connection is making sure that you're doing the work for yourself. Every time you have a kid, it brings up things like, you know, I always say that everybody's been to a parenting class and that was their childhood. Ooh, yeah. And so, you know, and so every time you bring up, you know, you bring a child into the world, those feelings get stirred up. So if you have a story that you haven't really delved through about your childhood, or there are things that have been left unhealed, this is your chance to do that work. Because the more that you do that work, you do that parenting from the inside out and reparent yourself, you're much more likely to connect with your child in ways that are empathic and healing and really create that sense of connection that I know most parents want to have with their children. Mm -hmm. But if we are unhealed, it's very difficult to do that. And so I believe a lot about parenthood is about self-discovery, self-discovery and Mm self-development. And if you can really delve into that, the, the rest will fall into place. I'm somebody who, uh, didn't really enjoy babysitting growing up. And my mother was like, I I described her as if you put Martha Stewart and Mother Goose into a being and that was (laughs) 
<laughs> me and my child. When I tell people this and they're like, oh, that's like, that sounds amazing. I'm like, you need to understand the weeks of my childhood were themed. We had like butterfly week. We had pioneer oh my week. Goodness. We had planets week. My mom was an early childhood educator for 25 years. My healing in my mothering and my parenting journey has mm-hmm. been understanding that I'm not my mother. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a tough one because she is like so special to everybody who she meets. And like, there's this buildup of expectation in yourself. Like, am I ever going to be who Mm -hmm. Nana is to everybody? And like, can I bond with my kids and be just, can I give them just as special an experience through childhood without being my mother? And it's so funny when people talk about breaking the cycles and breaking like healing their mother wounds based on like almost negligence or like their own mother's Mm -hmm. struggles. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. it's not that my mom was without without trauma and without struggle it's just that she was such a good mom and that's so mm-hmm. hard to live up to it's so right. hard and I, I hear that but you know what I would really like for you to hear is that your child picked you didn't pick your mom yeah you know and so I really believe that however we are flaws and included there's something about our kids journey that they need those things to be able to get from a to z on their own journey and that's why they picked us Mm. and so we only have to be ourselves and i think what parenthood brings up in me and i think it brings it up in a lot of people is this idea to be a better version of myself Mm, instead of trying to be a version of your mother Yes. You know, and my, and I, I took away some amazing things for my mom, you know, in motherhood, like we have, like, this is not, this is a, a family joke. She's not being out yeah. of here. My mom was the most amazing mother. She is the world's worst grandma. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I mean, she raised her four uh-huh. kids. My mom had like raised kids her whole life. She had her first at 20, her last at 40. So she spent her whole life parenting mm-hmm. kids. I relate to and her. So she's doing her thing. She's going dancing. She is traveling. She does not have time for these grandkids. Mm-hmm. Like I honestly but, feel like know. sometimes I, sometimes I'm like, when I say to my kids, I'm like, do you think you're going to have kids one day? Cause like, I don't think I can do this for you. Whatever Nana's doing for me. I don't yeah, think I she's can do always it. been like, have kids, don't have kids. Yeah. It's up to yeah. you. I'm not pushing you one way or the other. Cause I am yeah. not losing my life. <laughs> You know, but, you know, and I love that about her, you know, but I would say from parenthood, what she gave me that has been invaluable to me as a mother is my mom took time for herself. Mm. It was a non-negotiable. I remember being like 10 or 11 and she would have these times, like maybe once or twice a week where she's in her room, her door's locked. We can't talk to her, you know, and she would literally just ignore us for an hour. Like we'd (laughs) knock on her door. She would not answer like my mom, my mom. And like, literally she would just completely ignore us because nothing was happening. We just wanted her time. And like, we'd be like, what if the house is on fire? She was like, well, don't call me call 911. I can't help with anyway. So, and what it gave for me though, is that I have this, you know, unspeakable kind of conviction to being equally me and mom. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to give up the parts of me that bring me joy and fun to, in order to be a good mother. And I think so many people are, feel ashamed about that because the model has been that women are martyrs yes. that we just give and give and give. And like, it's all about our kids. And my, I, I know we were really special to my mom, but I never got the feeling that she let her own life or pursuits go 
simply for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like my own mother, I only watched her start to do that in the last few years when she went and mm-hmm. spent time with my dad for about a year in Singapore. And it was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, am I on my own two feet right now? Like this is a lot. And but it really taught me something. And after it, I was so proud of her. And I said it repeatedly, like even though it made us sort of be pushed into finding new support systems because we do heavily, re- she literally has my child right now. There's part of me that was like, this is the first time I've watched my mom be a person and not just a caregiver. And that was interesting to sort of see her in that lens for the first time. And I remember for myself, I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. So you can imagine the lack of boundaries I had because it was all about ease of life. And I had my first when I was 21. So there was not a lot of boundaries in place. And I remember the first time I started closing the door to go to the bathroom and they were like, why is the door closed? Why is it locked? Why is it this? And I'm like, because I deserve the respect of like peeing alone. Like, and that was, (laughs) that was like such a huge thing for me. Like I actually deserve to do this. I don't, I'm not guilty. I don't feel bad. I don't. And the thing is, yeah, accidents have happened sometimes in my absence or when I'm doing something for myself. And there will always, I've learned so greatly in the last few years as I've been working more and as I travel, that motherhood is like this thing that we really do expect that we somehow have to open the door. And like when we come home, motherhood begins and it's always there. I've literally been fielding dentist calls while landing on an airplane. I've been scheduling their lives and arranging pickups while in the middle of like conferences. Motherhood doesn't leave and stop the second that you do. It is like literally interwoven. So if you don't carve out that those times to like really take care of yourself, it will swallow you whole. And you're kind of left of like reeling, trying to find yourself again. And I've definitely gone through that a few times. And so for me, I just always find it so fascinating that people are like, oh, like, how do you how do you deal with the mom guilt when you when you leave and go out or when you go and enjoy dinner with your husband or whatever the thing is? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, it never stops. Like, if you don't think that my kids probably FaceTimed me three times during that time and I would have to either decline the call or take the emergency, like, these boundaries are not there to make kids suffer. They're there to create healthy relationships and to teach them boundaries and the fact that I am actually a whole human. It has taken... By being a stay-at-home mom, which was a beautiful, lovely thing, the moment I started working, my kids were panicked. They didn't even know how to cope with me not being there. So it was actually, and that's one thing I know you speak on sleeping and stuff too, but like when we worked with the sleep coach, she was like, sleep is like a life tool. It's not you removing the comforts of you. It's you teaching her that she is safe and she is comfortable on her own. That's a life skill. You're not, you're not not giving her anything. You're giving her everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, like mom guilt gone, like life skill. I got to teach you. Like these are, it just shifted everything. These like little bits of language, but it's amazing how much mom guilt can really like build up within us and, and find its, find its grip in us as well. But you have worked with some really big names. I was just reading over like your podcast guests. I mean, Mandy Moore, you've had Alexis Haynes on there. You've had even your own mother on your podcast as well. What have been some of your, like the your favorite moments in coming through having these big conversations with people that uh, maybe are just bring some really unique conversations and stuff as well. The podcast itself and some of the conversations that you've been able to have, has it, how has that sort of been for you navigating that? 
I mean, I feel like in one way, like I've been having these conversations for 20 yeah. years, you know, thinking about people like Mandy, Mandy's a client as well. And so, you know, these are probably conversations that we've had at two in the morning yeah. and postpartum and no, like actually sharing that with the rest of the world. And so it feels very normal to me to have these conversations. I've been having them with women and, and parents, you know, for so long. I think what for me, what it does, and I hope what the listener is hearing is that so much of what we're all suffering with is, is the same. You know, it doesn't matter if someone is what we would say, quote unquote, famous or wealthy or whatever the case might be. We're all dealing with the insecurities. We're all dealing with overwhelm. We're all dealing with this idea of like, I just want to be a good parent and just make sure that I'm not mucking this up too much for my kid. And I want to be connected and I want to still love myself and love the things that I do and have a good relationship. We're all kind of navigating the same thing. But what I really want people to understand is that it should all look different. Mm what I need and what you need and what Mandy needs and what Alexis's needs is all very different and that's okay. And can we more talk about like our differences as being like, wow, that's amazing versus like, oh, you're doing you're that. Do- <gasps> the tone, the tone is everything. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, there's so much, you know, I used to do in-person like parent and me classes mm-hmm. and what I used to always tell them is like, we're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about nursing. We're talking about formula feed. We're talking about, you know, first foods, all these things. If I go around to like even three of you in this room of 10 and you're all doing the same thing, there's a problem. You're following a formula and babies don't follow formulas. Mm. You know, you're looking at a book. The baby didn't read the book. You have to really be working with what works for my family, what works for me to feel like a parent that feels I feel safe as a parent, what works for my kid, and then bring these other things in to complement it. Oftentimes when I have someone who's not doing well in parenting or they feel like they're they're failing, it's usually because they're following a system or a philosophy that they have been brainwashed to believe is like, you know, the promised land to being a good parent. And it actually doesn't work for them and their child. And so mm-hmm. it's not working, which makes them feel like a failure. Mm-hmm because they're getting into this dogma of parenthood when it's really about how can you choose the kind of parent you're going to be before you know who your kid is. Right. And you know, what's so funny too, is I remember when I had my first and she slept through the night at six weeks old and she would like, her lip would quiver if you looked at her the wrong way. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a really good parent. That line (laughs) of thought, I feel brought to life my second child who brought me down to my knees. She woke up in the night for months and months and months. She was so difficult to feed. There were so many different issues that would come up. She was sassy as ever. And to this day is is no different. And I thought, oh my gosh, we so think that we have it figured out when we meet one child, forgetting that these are such individual humans that even with the same genetic makeup, the same environment, the same parents, they are individually so, so different. And now I'm four times down this road and I'm like, every single time you can read all the books in the world, your child is going to be the one that ultimately is going to decide a lot of this too, right? And so I think I think it's really funny how much we kind of expect from, you know, even being a parent of one, that that must be like the pathway for everything we've ever done. Because that's what I thought. I thought if I've done this once, I know what birth is like. I know what postpartum is like. I know what children are like. I know how to navigate this. And then you meet them personally. And you're just like, oh, just kidding. This is an entire new ball game. We're starting all over. So I just love the conversations around just um, all the nuances within parenthood and everything that you're doing. I would love for you to kind of share where people can kind of tap into this, because I think that this is 
it's no matter where you are in your own personal journey, I think if you're a parent or a support to somebody who is a parent as well, I think these are ongoing conversations and such reminders and grounding as you navigate through it. Because even through this, like, obviously I wept, but that's nothing, that's nothing new. Um, but also just like recognizing mom's shame and sort of like trusting my intuition again, that's a really special thing to sort of tap back into. These are ongoing things that we need to be feeding ourselves with. And so I really hope that a lot of people are going to be touched by your work. Where can everyone sort of tune into everything that you're doing? Yes. Well, hopefully you will come on and listen to uh, my podcast called Dear Doula. You can find that on IG at Dear Doula Podcast. And my Instagram is Brandy with an I underscore Jordan underscore official, where I talk about parenting type things and motherhood and self-discovery and all the things in between. And if you have questions or you're just like, I am drowning here, mm-hmm. like give me some resources. You can always email Brandy with an I at DearDoulaPodcast.com. Oh. Thank you so much for that. I hope that this has been so helpful for everybody listening. I know it has been for me. And I always think that I have my head wrapped around all of this and it it never is true. I I made a joke on Instagram the other day. I'm like, does anybody actually feel like an adult? Because I feel like I'm just faking it. And everyone's like, no, I don't feel like an adult. And then we were asking like our grandparents, like, do you feel like an adult yet? And they're like, no, still feel like I'm faking it. Like, I think a lot of us think that somebody else has it figured out. And even we're like constantly navigating. So I think any moments that we feel grounded and confident confident in what we're doing and how we're navigating is just so special. And I think that's a huge part of like what you bring to everything you do. So thank you so much. And for everyone listening, everything's in the show notes for you as well. And I can't wait for you to come back next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.